2: Not having any idea that Jonathan might be guilty of this sin, desiring to give the impression of no favoritism would be shown he makes this rash, foolish vow. He believed sin was the cause of God's unwillingness To answer him. And thus, he sentenced to death whoever was guilty of violating the oath.
0: Ever since the fall, we've had a tendency to try to earn back God's favor, sometimes through very extreme means. In today's passage, Pastor Mike will point out the folly in Saul's response to the negative circumstances the Israelites found themselves in. Instead of realizing his lack of faith in God, and the way he trusted in his own reason and counsel, Saul sought to appease God by his own means. This nearly resulted in the death of his own son, as a result of the rash vow he made before God. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 14, as he continues his message, A Foolish Vow.
2: What's going on here is actually Israel is mopping up. It's a mop at this point going forward, it's a mopping up operation. The Philistines have already been decisively uh, defeated. But what was involved in this mop-up operation? Well, after any kind of a route like this, it's all important if the maximum benefit from this victory was to be reaped by Uh, But pursuit of the enemy involved an exhausting, unremitting journey over steep hills for hours on end. And so once again, Israel, the armies of Israel, needed to recharge their batteries, if you will. They needed to energize. They needed food. Now, Saul's rash vow produced further complications the people just couldn't take it any longer. They needed food. They needed to replenish uh, their resources. And in verses 31 through 33, now let's discover what happened next. Now they had driven back to Philistines that day from the cities of Mishmash to Elijah. And so the people were very faint. And the people rushed on the spoil. They couldn't take it any longer. They weren't going to obey that rash vow uh, that uh, they had been placed under by Saul, and they took the sheep, oxen, and calves of the Philistines, they slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Look, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. Now, how did Saul respond? And so he said, you have dealt treacherously with the Lord. Roll a large stone to me this day. The idea of the large stone, he was going to take the remaining animals and he was going to butcher them there upon this rock, but then also he was going to offer the various sacrifices upon that rock as well. So, uh, effectively, that rock became an altar. Okay, So that's basically what's going on here. Okay, so let's go back now. The famished men, the armies of Israel, began slaughtering the sheep, the oxen, the calves that had been left behind by the Philistines without attending to the requirements of the law. They ravenously satisfied their appetites. Now, we've talked about this before. The Levitical law Gave exact directions and codes concerning the slaughtering of animals. And before they could eat of the animals, the animals had to be prepared. Before they were uh, roasted, they had to be drained of their uh, blood. And you can read about this, by the way, if you're interested in this sort of thing. Uh, Leviticus chapter 3, chapter 17. Deuteronomy chapter 12. We have all of the uh, information, all of the directions on how to go about preparing uh, the animals for eating or offering as sacrifices. But once again, the blood was to be drained away. So, this is what the armies of Israel were guilty of. You see, they may have eaten the flesh in its raw state, blood and all contrary to the directions that had been given to them by God in their ordinances according to uh, the rites of preparing the animals for either food or for sacrifice. So anyway, obviously there were those who did not participate in this. And among Israel's ranks, there were those who were knowledgeable concerning that law. And so what did they do? They went to Saul quickly and told him what was happening. And so how did Saul respond? Well, verse 33, once again, we've already read it. He says, addressing all of Israel who participated in this act that day, you have acted treacherously against God. And then he gives them this command concerning rolling the rock to him. And so anyway, you know, this is interesting. He he puts the blame upon them when rather he was the guilty party. they—they, they, I mean, they needed to replenish their resources. They needed to eat food to be able to continue on. They weren't guilty. He was the one who was guilty. Notice he places the guilt upon them, how foolish he was. And so anyway, Saul determines the letter of the law should be followed. And then in verses 35... And 35, uh, verses 34 and 35. There we read, Then Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, Bring me here every man's ox, every man's sheep, that is the, the spoils that they had uh, gotten from the Philistines. Bring them to the rock, as I had mentioned, that had been rolled to him. We're going to slaughter them here and then we're going to eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. And so every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. And then Saul built an altar on that same rock to the Lord. And this was the first altar that he built unto uh, the Lord. Okay, so what's going on here? Okay, well, I want you to think about this now. Saul is looking for an opportunity. He's already blown it and blown it royally by making this rash vow alienating himself from his people, Israel, his troops. So thus, he is now looking for an opportunity not only to win the favor back from the people, but also to win the favor of the Lord. You see that there? He's correcting them from their error in eating of this uh, food that hadn't been cooked and hadn't been drained of its uh, blood, and then offering the sacrifices for the sin of the people. He proposed that they continue then after that to attack on the uh, Philistines, that is, after the people had been refreshed. Now, it has been suggested, Saul, now conscious of the way his inconsiderate vow, had greatly interfered with the morale of his men, and so he wished to repair his error by taking further plunder from the Philistines. And so Saul, hoping material compensation would cause his men to forget his treatment of them, notice he is placing the prospect of personal enrichment ahead of ridding Israel of their uh, enemies. Verse 36, now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night, plunder them, until the morning light, and let us not have a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you. And then the priest said, the priest Ahijah said, let us draw near to God here. Now there's a couple things I want to draw your attention to. First of all, I want you to notice the response of the people in verse 36. With a bad attitude, it probably went something like this. Yes, Saul. Why don't you just go ahead and do whatever seems good to you? You know, they're they're being a little sarcastic here. You know, they just had it with Saul, basically. They weren't as enthusiastic as they had once been. That is with Saul any longer. They certainly weren't an enthusiastic group anymore. Now, the second thing that I want to draw your attention to, remember Ahijah had felt as if he had been slighted Remember when uh, Saul put an end to his seeking the Lord through the Urim and Thummim to, di- uh, to ascertain, ascertain what was the will of God, whether they should go forth and join his son Jonathan and, armor, and his armor-bearer in their fight against the Philistines. And so at this point, he wants to reassert himself and his position before the people. So Ahijah probably realized The men aren't behind the king as they once were. So he then realized that this is an opportunity for him to chime in. And so what does he do? Well, notice what it says there in verse 36. Let us draw near to God here, looking to regain a little of his lost prestige. He's posing as a man of faith, a mediator. I mean, listen. God's will had already been clear. The Philistines were God's enemies. They didn't need to seek the Lord. They had invaded his land, that is the Philistines. No guidance was needed. They needed to take back what was rightfully God's, what God had given to his people Israel. But you see, Ahijah the priest was more interested in himself than the will of God the Lord. Okay, so what was the outcome of all of this? You know, of all of these things and, you know, seeking this uh, you know, priest and questioning and, and uh, consulting the Urim and the Thuman and, and all of the holts and should I go forward, should I not go forward? What's going on here? What was the outcome of all of this? Basically, delay. Notice in verse 37, there we read, so Saul asked counsel, of God. Once again, there's a delay here. Shall I go down after the Philistines? Come on, Saul, get with it. Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But I want you to take note of this. He did not answer him that day. Why don't you think God answered him that day? Because Saul should have already known what was God's will. You see, they didn't capitalize on the favorable circumstances that Jonathan had secured for them. And then Saul tries to salvage something from the day's misdeeds, and God knows there were many of them, taking matters into his own hands, and then in verses 38 and 39, he's trying to figure out now why God hadn't answered him. Now, I'm not suggesting that if we are confused and we don't know whether to go forward or stay still, or you know, we, can't, we feel as if we can't make the right choice or decision, we should seek the counsel of the Lord. But on this occasion, it was so clear, it was made perfectly clear uh, to Saul previously. So don't misunderstand what I'm suggesting here. But anyway, Saul then takes matters into his own hands, and in verses 38 and 39, we read, and once again, he's trying to figure out why God hasn't answered him. Why is it that God didn't respond to this question? Verses 38 and 39. And this is what Saul did. He said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people. So he calls for all of the leaders. And know and see what the sin was today. That was, he was thinking, there must be some sin in the camp because God isn't responding to my request. Duh, come on, Saul. Verse 39. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, there would be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. Oh boy, Saul, you don't know what you're saying here. And see, at this point, he didn't know that it was his son, Jonathan, who was the first one to break the vow by eating the honey that was found on the ground as they moved through the forest on their way to track down the Philistines in the battle, you see. So notice what he says here. He says, uh, for as the Lord lives, he's making another rash vow, who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But not a man among all the people answered him. You see, the other people knew it was Jonathan, but they weren't going to blow the whistle on him, right? They loved Jonathan. Their hearts were knit together uh, with uh, Jonathan. So uh, uh, so this is what he uh, he did. Verses 38 and 39. None of the men that were present, when again he makes this rash vow, uh, were going to blow the whistle on uh, Jonathan. So not having any idea that Jonathan might be guilty of this sin... Desiring to give the impression of no favoritism would be shown, he makes this rash, foolish vow. He believed sin was the cause of God's unwillingness to answer him. And thus, he sentenced to death whoever was guilty of violating the oath. What's he doing here? He's seeking to appease God. And then he presumed God would condescend to reveal his will by lot. Let's pick up now in verses 40 through 46. Then he said to all Israel, You be on one side, and my son Jonathan I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And so Saul and Jonathan were taken but the people escaped. We're not quite sure of how they drew lots. They they might have gone back to the Urim and the Thummim to ascertain uh, the answer to this question. We're not quite sure, or whether it was just by the drawing of the lots. But as we will see who the lot falls upon in just a moment, verse 42, and Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me, and so Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. So the lot fell upon Jonathan. In other words, Jonathan was the one who was guilty of breaking this oath. And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. And so now I must die. And Saul answered, notice, this is his dad. This is his father. Can any of us even imagine making the this, this same pronouncement against our son? God do so and more also for you shall surely die Jonathan. So Saul, rather than admitting all of this was his fault, he's willing to offer up his son. Isn't that crazy? Oh man, but this is who Saul had become. Verse 45, but the people, oh man, now all of a sudden the people have had it with Saul. They're going to step in here. But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? In other words, a contemporary uh, 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 expression would be, Saul, you got to be kidding me, right? Uh, shall Jonathan die, who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not. As the Lord lives, not one hair of his head shall fall to the... So they're now all going up against the king for he has worked with God this day. Notice the acknowledgement of that. Jonathan was a co-worker together with God, which enabled them to get the victory that day. And so the people rescued Jonathan, and he did not die. Then Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. But you know what? The bottom line here is that the victory would have been greater... Uh, the Philistines would have been completely wiped out totally if it hadn't been for Saul's foolish vows. And so, at this point, Saul is humiliated by the people's words. He could not go against such united opposition. He left the place where he had sought Ahijah's, the priest's council, and his men returned to their homes. And the enemy had been driven back, yes, the Philistines, but Philistine power had not been broken, as we will see in our future studies. And there would be another time, there would be another battle in which Israel's enemies would be victorious. And in fact, Jonathan and Saul would be killed by those they should have beaten earlier. You see, that, that, that's the, the sad part of all of this. Now, as we close out this message, I wanna, one final thought that I wanna leave with you. Bring it down to personal terms. And I'm not suggesting that this may apply to anyone, but just in case, I wonder, as I was writing this message and drawing final conclusions, I wonder if there is any of us that are here in our facility this morning, and I don't want anyone to volunteer, or any that are watching online, through our live stream, have delayed in putting everything we could have using all of God's resources that have been available to us in defeating our enemy, that is, reoccurring sin. I'm not talking about the Philistines. I'm talking about our own personal battle, whatever that battle may entail. For most of us, it may be reoccurring sin even as the Philistines oppressed Israel. Its power and influence hasn't been broken, that reoccurring sin within our lives. Up until this point, we haven't been able to get the victory over it. Listen, gang, I guarantee, if you don't deal with it immediately, it will resurface to bite you. There will also be another time, there will be another battle, Uh, Such was the case with Israel as we will see going forward in our studies. So don't be defeated later by what could have been beaten earlier. What do we need to do? We need to act now. We need to simply cry out to Jesus. Ask him to strengthen us in the inner man, the inner woman, the inner person. We need to begin to get serious about getting into God's Word and applying its instruction to us. We need to ask a brother or a sister to help us, to come alongside, to counsel us, to pray for us. We need to recommit ourselves to this task. But more than anything else, we need to recommit ourselves to Jesus.
1: In my Father House. There's a place
0: for me. In my father's house. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you could listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link, or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to our continuing study of 1 Samuel next time here on In My Father's House.
1: There's a place for me.